0: Okay, friends, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Today we're going to cover verses 27 to 31, and then we're going to jump to the end of Mark 14 to cover verses 66 to 71. You'll see why, because it's all kind of the continuation of the same story. And the story is Peter's betrayal of Jesus. And we're going to look at how Jesus kept Peter on mission. Well, he didn't at first, but by the end of the story, we're going to see that Jesus knows he's gonna keep Peter on mission. If you know anything about Peter, he was the disciple who oftentimes was brimming with confidence, he was brimming with exuberance, and we're gonna see that in today's story. But we're also gonna notice, you know, even though he believes that his faith would never fail Jesus, we're gonna see today that it does. Uh, It's kind of a famous story where Peter, uh, spoiler alert, Peter denies Jesus three different times. Jesus even predicted it, Jesus even called it, and even in spite of that, Peter still does it. And it's it's almost a little bit shocking. Well, a couple of things. First of all that it would be included in the Gospel of Mark that actually comes from Peter himself. And so it shows us that the disciples were really telling the truth. You know, these gospels are telling the truth. It's not trying to whitewash. It's not trying to make the disciples look great. It's it's just being truthful. It's showing us just the nature of faith. I mean, it's, it's really true of all of us, right? Every, every single one of us, for every single one of us, our faith is imperfect. We saw that a little bit last week, you know? Are you a Peter? Are you a Judas? Well, in both cases, your faith is going to be imperfect. But as we're going to see today, it's not about your faith. It's about it's about the author of your faith, Jesus. In spite of our imperfection, Jesus is perfect, Jesus is faithful even when we are faithless. Anyway, we're going to see those themes again today as we open up the Bible. But today I want to put this whole story in the context of a broader question. So let's start with this question. Have you ever experienced mission drift? Because in essence, we're going to show, I want to show you today in the text that that what Peter was experiencing was mission drift. God had called him, Jesus had called him on a mission, a purpose, and he was drifting away from that in today's story now, before we talk about that in the realm of faith, in the realm of Christianity, maybe you can think about that in the realm of let's say, marriage. what is What does mission drift look like in marriage? I've probably performed a hundred weddings in my ministry so far. and in most of them, here's here are the vows that I tend to use unless the you know, the bride and the groom want to write their own vows. here Here are the vows. It goes something like this. I just married good friends of mine, Chris and Brandy. So I said, Chris, do you take Brandy to be your wedded wife, to live together in the holiest state of matrimony? These aren't actually the vows. This is called the declaration of intent. But it, what's the intent? The intent is to be on mission together as husband and wife. Do you promise to love her, to comfort her, honor her and keep her, and forsaking all others, remain loyal to her as long as you both shall live? If so, say I do. So that's called the declaration of intent. What is that? It's the intent to stay married. It's the intent to love each other, to be committed to each other through all the ups and downs of marriage, through all the ups and downs of life. This is a covenant. And yet so many couples drift from this mission. So many couples fail to keep their vows in their marriage. You know, my mom and dad are celebrating 55 years this year, and I love that. Now their marriage wasn't perfect and is not perfect, but here's what I've gotten to see in the last few years especially is just my dad's commitment to my mom, my mom's commitment to my dad through the thick and thin, through all the ups and downs of life. What a picture of a couple who didn't drift in their mission. Now, maybe you have drifted in marriage maybe maybe your marriage didn't work out or or maybe you're struggling in marriage right now. I want to challenge you to remember your vows and to be committed to the mission that you stated to one another on your wedding day or how about mission drift in the workforce you know maybe you work uh you're out there and, and you're part of a company and Maybe you've even kind of been wrestling through this with your company. You know, what's your mission as a company? And are you are you really staying on mission in the workforce? Uh, a famous example of this is Kodak. You know, Kodak was a pioneer in the photography industry. And here was their mission, you know, since uh, really their founding in the late 19th century. That's an old company, right? Their mission was to make photography accessible to the masses one of their famous slogans was you press the button, we do the rest. Okay. So think about that. Their mission was to make photography accessible to the masses, but here's what happened after over a hundred years of like traditional photography, all of a sudden now digital photography begins to emerge in the late 20th century. And Kodak wasn't sure what to do about that. In fact, here's what they did famously. They prioritized their traditional film business instead of making the shift to digital photography. So I think that's a classic example of mission drift. What was their mission is to make photography accessible to the masses. But when they failed to pivot to digital photography, they no longer made photography accessible to the masses. Because I don't know when the last time I, you know, took a, took a picture, a photo with an old school camera. Like it's been 20 years since I've done that. I mean, some of you young listeners don't even know what I'm talking about. You used to have to develop the film. You'd have to send it in. You know, I mean, there were negatives involved, all this stuff going on with old school photography. Well, now you can just take pictures on your phones or maybe you have a digital camera and it's a completely different process in Kodak Missed their chance to move toward that. And as a result, look, they're not making photography accessible to the masses anymore. In 2012, Kodak filed for bankruptcy. So see, mission drift can happen in business. Mission drift can happen in marriage. And it can also happen in faith, in Christianity. That's what we're going to be looking at today. I mean, think about what what is the mission of the church today, the Christian church, it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Jesus stated it like this, Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Friends, that is our mission as a church, which means since the church is made up of individual Christians, it means that is our mission as Christians. Our mission is to go and make disciples. That's your mission. Now think about this for a second. Is that what your church does? Do they make disciples? Now remember, when Jesus said, go make disciples, he's not talking about you know creating like a discipleship program in your church to make smart Christians smarter. I wanna make sure you know that. Because if that was the case, he wouldn't say baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Clearly, when Jesus said, go make disciples to his disciples in Matthew 28, they understood that he was talking about what we would today call evangelism. Now it also includes discipleship in the ter- in you know in terms of helping Christians go quote unquote deeper in their faith. Because in the next verse, in verse twenty, he said, "Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you." So it's all it's all the, a package deal. Disciple making. Think about this. Disciple making is about helping people who are far from God to trust Jesus for salvation. And then once they've trusted Jesus for salvation and become a Christian, then you help them to honor God with their everyday choices and lifestyle. And finally, you help them to get on mission with you and your church to go make more disciples. So this is in the Pursue God resource. This is what we call going full circle. We want to help Christians Trust Jesus, number one, honor God, number two, and then make disciples with us, number three. That is the mission of every Christian church for the last 2,000 years. Why? Because it's the commander's intent. It's what Jesus told us to do. He said, go make disciples, so we should go make disciples. Now, pause for a second and think about your church or even just think about your life, Are you actively making disciples year over year? For most Christians, they would have to honestly answer, no. Well, that means that you've drifted from your mission. And by the way, that's why we put together the Pursue God resources. We want to give tools to the average church, to the average Christian, to help you actually get in the game, stay on mission, and make disciples. Again, if you need to learn a little bit more about how the Pursue God tools work to that end, check out the about page at PursueGod.org, and we get into it all over the place. We talk about how to do this with your family, with small groups, one-on-one mentoring, and even we have some resources to help your church to do this. Anyway, this is what I wanna show you in our text for today, because I think in our text for today, we're going to see a classic example of mission drift. I think that's what I really want to point out in Peter's story. It's not just denial. It's not just betrayal. It's actually mission drift. Now, before we get to chapter 14 today, we need to set the stage by going all the way back to chapter one. This is when Jesus first called his disciples. So we covered this almost a year ago. Now, pay attention. I'm going to read Mark chapter one, verses 16 and 18. And I want you to pay attention to where all of this is happening because it's gonna come up again in our text today in chapter 14, okay? So Mark one, verses 16 to 18, it says, one day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, this is at the very beginning of his ministry, three years before uh, the events from Mark 14, and Jesus saw Simon, also known as Peter, Jesus saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living, and Jesus said, he called out to them, Come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed Jesus. Okay, this is Peter and Andrew being on mission with Jesus. They left their nets. They left their livelihood. I mean, this was a huge leap of faith for Peter and Andrew to do this. In fact, now, in retrospect, we know that they spent the last three years with Jesus, seeing him... You know, raise the dead, perform miracles, teach in parables, talk about the kingdom of heaven. I mean, for three years, they they had a front row seat to everything that Jesus was doing. And slowly, Jesus is revealing his mission and how they're going to be a part of that mission. But look, at the very beginning, he told them, he said, here's what I want. If you're going to be a follower of me, I want you to be about helping people pursue God. I, I want you to fish for people, which means, so Mark chapter 1 is Matthew 28. He's basically saying, I'm going to show you how to make disciples. That, that's If you're going to follow me, then you're going to be on mission with me. And to be on mission with Jesus means you make disciples. It doesn't just mean you go to church. It doesn't just mean you read your Bible. It doesn't just mean you listen to Christian music midweek. It doesn't just mean you go to small group. I mean, all those things are wonderful. But to be on mission with Jesus means that you are willing to make disciples. You're signing up for this. And this is what Peter and Andrew and all the disciples ended up doing. Again, we, we've spent 13 chapters so far in the Gospel of Mark tracking their progress and, you know... They see Jesus doing it. Jesus is discipling them. And then eventually he sends them out two by two to disciple other people. So we see all this stuff happening. And again, I could just imagine that Peter and Andrew, their expectation is this is going to be good. That's why they left their nets. They're like, we're going to be famous. Maybe we're going to be rich. I mean, we're going to be on mission. It was an exciting time in Mark chapter one. In fact, it was an exciting time for 13 chapters in the gospel of Mark as they get to see the ups and downs of ministry with Jesus. They get to hear his teachings, they get to see his miracles, and now here they are in Mark chapter 14, thinking that this is all going to culminate. Remember, they thought it was going to culminate in Jesus being some kind of earthly king or Davidic messianic warrior figure, but it's not how it's going to culminate, right? I mean, we know that in retrospect as Christians, the Last Supper, it's going to culminate in Jesus giving up his life. We saw that last week as we covered the Last Supper, Jesus, you know, Jesus is saying, hey, this bread is is my body, this drink, this wine is my blood. He's giving all of the Passover tradition a totally new meaning now to the disciples. But remember last week, he also identified the one who would betray him. Now, I've got to, I've just got to kind of go back to that because I want to stitch together a timeline here. Um, and we have to we have to go to the Gospel of Luke, along with the Gospel of Mark to sort of put all of this in context. But remember last week that Jesus, Jesus said, one of you is going to desert desert me. And we noticed last week in in the Gospel of Mark that they all wondered, am I the one? Am I going to be the one? To desert him. Now, if we jump back to the Luke, the gospel of Luke, Luke 22, verse 24, it says, right after right after Jesus identified the one who would desert, who would betray him. And um, you know, they're all wondering if they would be the one. Literally, verse 24, Luke 22, 24 says they all began to argue among themselves about who would be greatest among them. So it's really funny if you stitch all this together, Jesus says, one of you is going to desert me. They all wonder, am I the one? And then somehow that turned into an argument about who would be the greatest among them. I mean, it doesn't exactly make the disciples look like the sharpest tools in the shed. I mean, it's just this up and down, uh, how strong is my faith? And it's really strong. And in the context of all of that, let's go back to our text for today now. The very next scene in Mark's gospel Is starting in verse 27, Mark 14, verse 27, they're all on their way to the Mount of Olives after the Last Supper. And here's what Jesus says to them right after they all argued about who would be the greatest. Jesus tells them this, all of you will desert me. I'm gonna read that again. He says, all of you will desert me. He says, for the scriptures say, and then he quotes some scripture in the Old Testament. God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So let's pause here on verse 27 and I want you to I want you to notice something. Last week we saw that all Mark says that all of the disciples around the table drank the cup, drank the wine. They all drank the wine. And now look what it says in verse 27. They all are going to desert Jesus. Not just Judas. You know, Judas is going to betray Jesus. Jesus is telling his disciples, all the rest of them are going to desert him. So much for being on mission, right? So much for following Jesus, no matter what. Jesus is saying, I mean, what kind of pep talk is this? Jesus is saying, you're all going to desert me. And he says, and that's okay because scripture predicted it. I knew that it would happen. Jesus is essentially saying, I knew that this was going to happen even before I called you all the way back in Mark chapter one. So look, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm probably like, depressed right now that that after arguing about who would be the greatest, Jesus says, well, here's the here's the reality is you're all going to bail on me. But, but then here's what's so cool about this. Pay attention to what he says in verse 28. He says this, but after I am raised from the dead, I will go on ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Now think about this for a second. Okay. He just said, every one of you is going to desert me. And then he said the very next thing he said is but you know what I'm going to stay on mission you're not but I will I'm going to stay on mission I'm going to be raised from the dead <laughs> I mean it's just so matter of fact he says you're all going to desert you're all going to desert me and I knew it I knew it was predicted I knew it was prophesied but that's okay cuz I'm going to be raised from the dead and then he says I will go on ahead of you to Galilee t- to meet you there so look at what he's saying I mean it in 2 powerful verses, verse 27 and 28. He tells them the truth that they're going to be faithless. And then he tells them the next truth that he's going to be faithful. And then he says, and eventually you will be too. I'm going to meet you in Galilee where this whole thing started, right? Mark chapter one. I'm going to meet you in, Val- in Galilee. I'll go on ahead of you there. And you're going to be there with me too. Man, what a powerful, what a powerful statement for Jesus to make. You know, Galilee, I, I like to think of Galilee as mission central, right? Galilee is where Jesus first called them. The region of Galilee, Capernaum is in the region of Galilee. That was kind of like the headquarters for Jesus and his disciples. Look, look on a Bible map and you'll see where Capernaum is along the Sea of Galilee. He's he's basically saying, We spent so much time in Galilee and And at the end of all this, after I die and rise from the dead, I'll meet you there because you're just getting started. The mission that I've called you to is just getting started, even though you're all going to desert me in the moment. Now, by the way, this kind of begs the question, why Galilee and not Jerusalem? Remember, all this stuff is happening in and around Jerusalem. That's where the Passover, you know, festivities are centered on but why does Jesus not elevate Jerusalem? Why does he elevate Galilee? And the reason is because Galilee is about not just Israel. I mean, Jerusalem would have been about Israel. Galilee is about the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles. Galilee is about the whole world Jerusalem is just about the Jews, at least in the mind of the disciples. And I love that Jesus is calling people to follow him from Galilee, and he, mission Central is in Galilee. And as we open up the you know the book of of Acts in the New Testament, you're going to see that that Galilee is so central that the gospel is going to go out to you know it is going to include jerusalem and the jews but it's going to go out to the samaritans it's going to go out to all the world to all the gentiles because because it's going to fulfill this prophecy in isaiah 9 and I, and go back and read that for yourself if if you want to but it's all about enlarging israel the mission of jesus includes gentiles that's why when we read matthew 28 remember the mission of jesus think about what it said there Go make disciples of all nations. That's why Galilee was mission central. It represented all nations. Jesus' mission all along was to share the gospel with the whole world, not just with the Jewish people. And so when when Jesus says here in these verses, you know, you're going to all desert me, but that's okay. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee, and and you're going to meet me there because I know that eventually you're going to get back on mission. Jesus had this incredible confidence. Jesus doesn't panic when our faith falters. I want to say that again, because some of you maybe you know, at the beginning of this episode, you're like, yeah, I don't know if I've made disciples. Man, am I really faithful? I mean, what, what you know, I've drifted on from my mission as a follower of Jesus. I want you to hear this. Jesus isn't panicking right now. Jesus doesn't panic when our faith falters because the mission of Jesus is dependent on Jesus and his ability and his power. It's not dependent on you and your power or on the uh, the quality of your faith. And it's a good thing because all of the disciples had weak faith and so do, so do we, Right. But Jesus's mission will still be accomplished. I love that. Now let's go back to the text because I want to show you what Peter says in verse 29. Right after Jesus says all this, here's what Peter says to him. He says, Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Verse 29. Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. So Peter throws all the other disciples under the bus. He is so ignorantly confident in his faith I mean I don't know if you can relate to Peter maybe you can maybe you can't or maybe you just know people like this I know people like this I think this is this has been me at different stages of my journey with Jesus where you kind of think it's all about you and you have you have more confidence in your faith than you should you know you have more confidence in your in your uh, ability than is merited well that was that was Peter, but it wasn't just Peter because verse 31 says, and all the others vowed the same. So look, look, Jesus just said, hey, it's prophesied. You're all going to desert me. And I know that you will. Right. So Jesus literally just said this to them. And a couple of verses later, Peter and all the others are vowing that, nope, Jesus, I don't believe you. I believe me more than I believe you. I believe me more than I believe the prophecies in scripture that you just quoted. I mean, this is crazy. This is crazy how ignorant they're all being here, how self-confident they all are after Jesus just told them they're all gonna bail on him. It's unbelievable. And so here's what Jesus said to Peter, verse 30 and 31. He said, I tell you the truth, Peter, and I could just imagine like the compassion that Jesus has when he says this to Peter. He says, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. You're going to deny that you even know me three separate times. And Peter says it again. No. In fact, the Bible says he declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Okay? So Peter is really sort of setting himself up here for failure. Jesus is warning him Jesus is calling him out I mean Jesus isn't being mean spirited here he's just trying to tell Peter the truth and Peter isn't buying it and he, Peter is about to learn what most believers have experienced here's here's what he's going to learn and maybe maybe you've learned this in your journey as well especially if you're if you're a longer time Christian you probably have learned a thing or two right Here's the lesson Peter's going to learn. It's one thing to be bold when you're surrounded by believers. It's another thing to stay on mission when the world is against you. You know, it's it's one thing if you're at a spiritual retreat or on, at a worship night or maybe Sunday morning and you're surrounded by your small group and other believers and you're singing to, to Jesus and you're worshiping him or you're opening the Bible and everyone around you is agreeing with with the way you read the Bible, everyone else is agreeing with what the Bible teaches. Man, it's one thing to be bold in that scenario on Sunday morning. It's another thing when Monday comes along and you're at work. Or for you, you young people, you're at school and now you're surrounded by the secular world that says something completely differently, that teaches a whole different worldview. Man, it's it's a lot harder to be bold. It's a lot harder to stay on mission when you're surrounded by a world who is against Jesus. And this is exactly the world that we see when we fast forward in chapter 14 to the very end of the chapter to see how this story about Peter ended. Verse 66. So now Jesus is on trial, he and it says that Peter is in the courtyard below and one of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed peter warming himself at the fire she looked at him closely and she said hey you were one of those with jesus of nazareth but it says that peter denied it now this is just this isn't the same chapter i mean just think about this in the context of everything peter's like i'll never deny you i'll go i'll die for you and now here peter is denying it i don't know what you're talking about he said and he went out into the entryway and the text says that just then a rooster crowed now, look, the Gospel of Mark is the only gospel that says that the rooster is going to crow twice. The other gospels just talk about the rooster crowing. It doesn't say twice. So I think that that's significant. I think that this is showing us that actually Peter had like a this is like a warning shot. Like it he should have been like, "Oh, wait a second. Jesus mentioned this. I'm not going to I'm not going to deny Jesus again because this is just the first time the rooster crows." But Peter didn't learn his lesson. He didn't pay attention to the the warning. Because in verse 69, it says that the servant girl saw him standing there again, and she began telling others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again, number two. And then it says in verse 70, a little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter, and they said, you must be one of them. Because you are a Galilean, all right. Now, just notice that. Isn't that interesting? That they noticed his accent. They noticed his dialect. They could tell that he was from G- Galilee. Probably kind of like you can tell when someone's from the South, or you can tell when someone's from New York or Boston. Like you know, you you understand the accent, right? So they're like, "Wait a second, you sound like a Galilean. You're from Galilee." And there it is again. What a reminder for Peter. That's where he first met Jesus. That's where he left his net to fish for people. That's where he first joined Jesus on mission just three short years earlier. And now probably not three hours after he vowed to never betray Jesus. He's going to deny him for the third time. It says in verse 71, Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying I don't know this man you're talking about. He wouldn't even say his name. He didn't even say his name. He said, I don't even know this guy. And it says, and immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And then verse 72 says, suddenly the words of Jesus flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And it says that he broke down and wept. The Pillar New Testament commentary says that this third accusation was the boldest and so is Peter's denial. The Greek is coarse and explicit. Literally, the Greek would read like this. He began to curse and swear, I don't know this man you speak of. So it's like Peter isn't just like quietly denying Jesus. He is like boldly, he's boldly cursing and swearing, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, it is like Peter's personality on full display. He had boldly left his net to follow Jesus. He boldly told Jesus he would never deny him. And now he boldly denies that he even knows Jesus and it crushes him. He is so ashamed. He realizes that his faith is so weak. You know, maybe some of you are listening to this right now, and that's the conviction that you're feeling as well. Maybe you've realized that you've drifted from your mission as a follower of Jesus. Jesus wants you in the game. Jesus wants you to go make disciples. And, and you failed. You've drifted from that. In fact, I want to finish today's episode with some more context from Luke's version of this very account. Now, Mark leaves this part out, but here's one other thing that Jesus says to Peter before all of this stuff happens. Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. This is what Jesus is saying to Peter before all of this stuff happens, before Peter denies him 3 times. Jesus is just being up front with Peter and he says, "You know, Satan really Satan wants to pull you away from your faith, but he's saying, "I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. But yet it did, right? I mean, that's, I guess, I guess you could say, but okay, so then, so then Jesus's prayer wasn't answered. Well, no, that's not, that's not totally true because the whole point of this, of this whole thing is that our faith can fail. The whole point we, we've been learning in the last couple of weeks is that that Peter isn't perfect and the other disciples aren't perfect and your faith isn't perfect and you don't stay perfectly on mission with Jesus. That's just the reality of every single follower of Jesus. But what I love about this in verse 32 is is Jesus doesn't say, so if you have repented and turned to me again. No, Jesus says, so when you have repented and turned to me again, Jesus knows that." This wouldn't be the end of the story for Peter. Jesus knows that he's going to stay on mission. Jesus himself is going to stay on mission. And Jesus knows that Peter and the other disciples would eventually meet him back at Galilee, the place of the initial calling. Jesus knew that Peter's faith, at the end of the day, that Peter's faith would be restored. Jesus was telling Peter I want you to strengthen your brothers when that happens because you're not the only one who's going to fail me. Every single one of these guys is going to fail me. Jesus' reunion with the disciples in Galilee was just as assured as their denial after Gethsemane. You know, staying on mission for Peter, for James, for John, for all the disciples, staying on mission is less about the quality of our faith and it's more about the power of God's grace. I want to encourage you if you have drifted in your faith. I want to encourage you to do what really what Peter eventually did. You know, Peter right in this story, Peter breaks down and he weeps. Like he grieved he grieved his failure. He grieved his weakness. But then, and we're going to see this as we continue to read the Gospel of Mark, then he got up. He did eventually meet Jesus in Galilee. And Peter's story wasn't over. Peter would end up recommitting to Jesus. Peter would end up being a key figure in this movement that Jesus was starting. But it was all because Jesus stayed on mission. And at the end of the day, he was able to keep Peter on mission. He can do the same thing for you. and can do it for me.